You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Isn't that a great song? Amen. Let's remain standing, please, and go ahead and take your Bibles this morning. Turn to Genesis 15. Genesis 15 this morning, and we we typically have a special about this time, and uh, just for different circumstances, we don't have the one this morning. So we're going to jump right in. More time for me, amen? So, no one seems very excited about that. (laughs) Genesis 15. And uh, last week we looked at Abraham's saving faith, the faith that counts. And Abraham believed God, it was counted unto him for righteousness, and um, his faith pleased God. It was not Abram's works. It wasn't Abram's, it wasn't his motivations or his intentions. God was pleased with his faith. And I'm just telling you this morning, this message isn't as conducive to presenting the gospel as last week's was. But I'm telling you this morning, I, if you have not placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, first of all, that means that you haven't had faith that counts yet. But second, it means that this morning, you could have faith that counts. You don't have to wait for somebody else to come and grant it to you. You simply have to choose and say, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I know there's no way for me to get to heaven without Jesus Christ's payment. And I received that payment this morning. I want to spend eternity in heaven with God. And I hope that you become willing to say that this morning. You could leave here with faith that counts. But but as we move then from Abram after his faith that counts... Yeah, we move then to the next phase, and really it doesn't take long for us to see that even after faith that counts, there's going to be doubt. Just because you have faith that counts, and just because you've received Christ as your Savior, doesn't mean that life just gets easy after that. Let's look down in verse 7, and we'll begin reading there. So I'll make the transition, verse 6, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. You would expect the next verse to say something like, and all was hunky-dory. For Abram, good Hebrew word there, hunky dory, means rich in God's blessings. So it's a southern word, but it doesn't. There's no hunky dory in the rest of Genesis 15. It says in verse 7, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he, Abram, said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against the other, another, but the birds divided he not. So he takes and he cuts these animals, and he places them on the altar, on the opposite side of the altar from each other. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away, which means he builds this altar, but then he waits. He's waiting for God to do something. Verse 12, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. And shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will, will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with, a great, with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark... Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. Okay, you say that's a lot of strange names. Well, yes, it's just God's way of saying there's going to be a lot of land. I'm going to give you all of this land. It will come. But God doesn't answer Abram the way that we think. See, Abram has doubts. 
And even after saving faith, there will come times in your life where you have doubts. And I don't just mean about your salvation. I mean doubts about how it's all going to work out. The answers may not come right away. And Abraham, Abraham found himself doubting while he waited. And he needed assurance from God. He needed affirmation from God. It's a natural tendency to need affirmation. And I just want to say this today. I'm thankful we serve a God who's willing to provide assurance when we need it. The title of this message today is, I'm calling it The Weight of Waiting Faith. There's a double meaning, the weight of waiting faith. Because there will be plenty of times when we're waiting, and it feels like a weight. But God wants to lift the burden through affirmation. We'll see how he did that for Abram, and let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd bless it. Give us clarity this morning. Help your Holy, Lord, help your, have your Holy Spirit help us. We, we can't do this on our own. I can't do this on my own. I need you. We need you, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. I pray that if someone's in this room that needs to make a spiritual decision today, that they would do so this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As many of you know, we went to the men's advance up in Crookston, Minnesota this weekend and had a great time. Uh, a lot of good preaching. God, I do believe God worked in hearts and we had a good time of fellowship. And, uh, and Brother Prater last night, Bill Prater, he's a former pastor um, who travels now and preaches. He's from liberal Kansas. And he preached a message uh, yesterday. And it was fun to watch because it was one of those kind of uncomfortable messages. Meaning, you know, at a men's message, you're expecting, or men's meeting... It's called Mighty Men. That's the theme. And you expect somebody to get up and say, we're mighty men. Let's get out there and fight. Let's go take, you know, let's go, let's go do our job. Let's take responsibility. That's, you know, kind of a raw, raw kind of a thing. But, but the last message that he preached, he was actually preaching about David and Jonathan and talked about their friendship and how Jonathan comforted David. And there will be times where, where sometimes you just need a friend. And, and the way that he, he, he ended the service is he was talking about how um, there may, may be guys in your, room or your group that, that are here with you and they need a friend and they need some affirmation and they just may need some encouragement. And he said, I, I'm not trying to turn this into a hug fest. That's, that's something you don't see very often at men's meetings. He said, I'm not trying to turn it into a hug fest, but I would encourage you if the Lord's prompting you to go and, and, and encourage a brother from your church or your pastor or one of your friends, I want to encourage you to go do that now. And I, it was fun to me to watch because I was thinking, oh, this is going to get uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, because guys are kind of like, well, you know, I'm, we're, not, we're not like that. I don't know what they do at ladies' retreats. I've never asked. I'm a little afraid. But, but I'm imagining there's more hugging at ladies' retreats than there is at men's retreats. Maybe. And so I just kind of saw this like awkward thing move over and, and some men started to move and, and there were, and there was a little bit of, you know, that going on. And I'm thankful that, you know, a couple men encouraged me and I'm grateful for that. But for the most part, it was hard to get guys to, to do that because this is not how guys normally operate. But you know what? I'm not sure that we should be so opposed to it because I don't know about you, but there've been plenty of times in my life that I needed a friend and the words came at just the right time. Since we've gotten back from the men's, men's advance, I've gotten at least two texts from men saying, Pastor, we, we are behind you, we support you, we love you, just wanted to let you know that. And I'm telling you, it did more for my heart than I can explain. I was, I was getting ready to come, um, to come out this morning, and I don't even know why it's here, but I reached into my pocket um, of my jacket, and, and I pulled out this a face mask that somebody made me. And it says preacher on it. Brother Keith Walk made this for me. I, I, I don't wear face masks very often. Um, and so, Brother Keith, not to be offensive. But, but, uh, I'm a, but I'm telling you, this did my heart good to pull this out this morning. Because, I mean, whether or not I like face masks, it reminded me that I have a friend. And I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to wear it this morning because that would be I'm strange for me to stand up here and speak to you in a face mask. But I'm telling you, I, I probably will touch it a few times in the message because I'm just reminded this morning that I've got a friend and I'm thankful for it. Amen. You know, sometimes affirmation is needed. 
And we as men, especially, maybe we think, you know, we don't need it. Or maybe there are ladies in here that think, you know, I'm not sure that I really see it. But I'm telling you this, God is a God of affirmation. God, God affirms and assures people he doesn't leave us on our own. As a matter of fact, not only does he do, do it, but, but like Brother Prater, the idea he got across yesterday was Galatians 6, 2, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's our responsibility to help each other. Like we need more of this kind of stuff. Especially as we see the day approaching, we need encouragement. We, we, we tend to struggle with thinking affirmation's that big of a deal. But I'm telling you, God is a God of affirmation. And when you have, we have doubts, we, we all struggle with certain doubts. I mean, we have self-doubt. I don't know about you, but there are plenty of times where I have self-doubt or I have insecurities that I have to walk through and I've got inadequacies that I know are there that somebody else may not see and maybe I, I question my abilities. I, and I'm not just saying me, I think we all go through these things. We question ourselves, we have insecurities, we have doubts, we, we wonder whether or not we can measure up. And we don't just have self-doubt, we have doubts in other people. And maybe somebody in your life has really let you down and, and it's hard for you to open up and you've got walls and, and you doubt whether somebody else will really come through for you. We, we may feel as if maybe we could even do something better ourselves. I don't need somebody else to help me. Or we, we just refuse to let down our walls. We've got self-doubt, we've got doubts in other people. At times we have even doubts in God. And it's difficult uh, to trust something we can't see first of all I understand that it's hard to trust in someone that we've never seen face to face I and a lot of people struggle with that it's and maybe you've had some prayers in your life that didn't get answered and you wonder well he didn't hear so obviously he doesn't care and if he doesn't care then I, I doubt he really will go will, will be a help for me if I bring something else to him I, I know that's transparent but I'm just saying people think these things you know, you think, well, can I trust his word and can I trust his promises? Listen, there are times of doubt and, and the doubt that we have is amplified when we're waiting. The seeds of doubts are already there, but there are times when the doubt feels even worse because we have to wait. And waiting is no fun. I don't know. I don't like to. I don't like to wait in line for my food. I don't like to wait in line for at the grocery store. I don't like to wait in line at a stoplight. I don't have to. I don't like to wait. I don't know. Maybe you. Maybe waiting is fine for you, but waiting is hard. And in a spiritual sense, we already have seeds of self doubt. We already have doubt in other people. We already tend to have doubt sometimes even in God. And when the promises that we that we have haven't been realized yet then our doubts are amplified when we have to wait. And that's what's happening to Abram this morning. Uh, in our text, he's full of doubt. Remember in Genesis 15, the first part, um, he, he was getting up in years. And we talked about this last week. He's likely in his 70s. And, and he had recently made some new enemies. Remember, he went out and he battled those four kings and he got Lot back. But now he's full of fear and he's starting to think, if I die, I don't have a son yet. God gave me all these promises. But if I die without a son, all the promises that God has given me won't come to pass. I have to have a son for all these things to happen. And he has some understandable doubts. And, and so God takes him and says, okay, Abram, I know you have doubts. I know that you don't have a son yet. I know I have all these promises that I've made you. He said, but let me help you with this doubt here. And he takes him out into, under the night sky. And he says, Abram, look up in the sky. And Abram looks up and it must have been a clear night. And there must have been stars everywhere because God says, I want you to look at all the stars. And if you can count all the stars, that's how many children or descendants you're going to have. So Abram looks up at the sky and I can imagine he starts one, two. Okay, God, I believe you. Because you start trying to count the stars and you don't get very far. And God is telling Abram, listen, I hung the stars. And I know every one of them. And if I hung the stars, I can handle this problem of you not having a son. You just need patience. You need to wait. So Abram believes God and it counts to him for righteousness. I'm grateful for that. But just because of that doesn't mean that his doubts were all over. At verse 6, God comes, or verse 7, um, God says, Okay, he said unto him, I'm the Lord that brought thee out of the earth of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. So God says, Okay, now let's talk about the land. And in case we were thinking that all of Abram's doubts were gone, they're not. Look at verse 8. He said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? 
So God says, we're going to talk about the land. And Abram says, okay, Lord God, master, how will I know I'm going to get the land? You know, his initial doubts were about his son. So God said, okay, look at the stars. And Abram believed. Well, now he's asking about the land. Abram's looking around. And you know why he's asking about the land? You know why Abram said, okay, how am I going to inherit this? Because he's looking around and he's looking at, remember all the names of the, of the tribes we read at the end of the chapter? Um, the Girgashites and the Cadmonites and the, all of those. I can't remember the mosquito bites or whoever else was there. I can't, I mean, that's the first thing that came to my mind, okay? He's looking around, he, he's not, he, Abram's looking around and, and God says, okay, now let's talk about the land. And Abram's thinking, oh, how am I going to inherit the land? It's already inhabited. And there are people already living here. God, I'm looking over here and there's, uh, there's the Ammonites and I'm looking over here and there's, there's this group over here and looking over here and there's this group over here and the Canaanites, all of these, they're all, God, I mean, how's this going to happen? I mean, they're, they're already living here. I can't just, you know, walk in and kick them all out. I've got an army of 300, but I can't do all of this. Now, there's one thing to notice here is that the way Abram asks makes a difference. You know, he says, the first two words he says are Lord God. That word Lord is Adonai, which means he's saying, Master, I'm totally submitted. You're, you're the rule in my life. Uh, you're, you're the boss of me, essentially. Lord God, okay, Lord God, I know, but whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Listen, there are two ways to ask a question. There, there, there are those that ask like a hard skeptic, and there are those that ask like an honest seeker. And if you want to know why you don't ever get good answers to your questions, it could because, be because you're asking like a hard skeptic. And you're coming and you're saying, okay, um, you know, there's one way to ask a question. Some people ask and they say, okay, prove it. Prove it. Okay, if you've ever been on the basketball court and you're going to uh, play horse or something, you have to go back and prove it to take a letter off and stay in the game. Prove it. You know, like if anybody here from Missouri... Okay, what, anybody, uh, anybody from Missouri? Okay, good, I can talk about, about Missouri. Won't offend anybody. You know, Missouri's called the show me state. You know why it's called the show me state? Because people from Missouri kind of like prove it. Show me. I want to see it. You know, and sometimes when, if you ask a question like a hard skeptic, you're probably not going to get the answer you're looking for. But Abram doesn't come asking like a hard skeptic. He doesn't come saying prove it. No, Abram comes saying, Lord God, Whereby shall I inherit this? You know what? Abram is an honest seeker. He's saying, Lord, I, 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 I don't have the belief I should. Help thou mine unbelief. And he comes and he asks in a, the right way. He comes with honesty. He's expressing his doubts. He wants reassurance. And God helps him because he asks the right way. And God starts with a task. Look at verse 9. And he said unto him, take me an heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And, he, and basically he tells him to put them all on an altar and, and make a sacrifice. Now, this was something that Abram was used to doing. We know that Abram, we see, we see it all the time. Abram had set up an altar. He was a worshiper. He was in the habit of doing this, but this one's different. God comes to Abram and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these certain animals. I want you to do it these certain ways. And what God's about to do is he's about to ratify or he's about to uh, confirm the covenant or the promise that he made with, with, with Abram back in Genesis. He's about to ratify it. He's about to seal it and let him see, now this is still going to happen, Abram. So Abram does what, what was traditional with a contract or a covenant in those days. And he takes the animals, and just so that we get a picture here, he takes the animals, he takes the heifer and the goat, and, and, he, and he divides them, he cuts them in half. And, if, and let's just say that this is the altar, it's a big altar, but for, but, but for our purposes. So he takes, he takes those heifers, he cuts them in half, and he puts three halves over here, and he puts the other half of those three over here. He does the same with the she-goats. He puts half over here, half over here. And so they're on either side of the altar. And there's an aisle in between them. So we've got animal parts over here, animal parts over here. And then there's a walkway or an aisle. There's space between them. And this was a common, a traditional way to make a covenant or make a contract. In those days, you say, well, that's really strange that somebody would make a covenant like that. Well, this would be like signing on the dotted line. 
And the idea was that you would put half the, half the, all, the sacrifice here, half the sacrifice here. There's a walkway or space in between. And then both parties would walk between the animals as if to say, if I break my end of the contract, let me be like one of the animals. If I break my part of the contract, may I be like one of these that are cut in pieces. And that's how seriously they took a covenant in those days. That's how seriously they had a, a contract was in those days. They were very serious about it. And I, I mean, I just have to stop and say, hey, listen, as a Christian, as a child of God, your word should be your bond. I mean, a handshake should be all it takes. And if you've got things that you're promising that you're not fulfilling, uh, may we get back to the place where we say, no, my word is my bond, and I take my word seriously. And they were taking this very, very seriously in, the, in those days. This contract was serious. So Abram does what God asks, and then it says he waits. In verse 11, it, the fowls came upon the carcasses. Abram's still waiting, and he, he has to drive them away. So, you know, you've got animal pieces... On the altar and the the vultures or the buzzards are coming down and they're trying to snatch up the animal pieces. So while Abram is waiting, he's having to fight off the vultures. He's having to keep the birds at bay. It's I mean, so he does what God says, but then he has to wait. And while he's waiting, something really strange happens. Look at verse 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And, and so we see then that God comes to him in a vision. God comes, and I know this is, this is a, a different kind of story, okay? It's a little bit strange, but I think we'll see a valuable lesson if you just hang with me here. God comes in this vision, and he, through the vision, brings reassurance to Abram. Look at the three ways that God reassures Abram. So he starts with a vision. He, it says, he said unto Abram. So Abram falls into a deep sleep and God comes to him and speaks to him. And he says to Abram, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. I want you to notice what's happening here. God, think about Abram's words in verse 8. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I, that I shall inherit it? But look at God's answer, essentially. Verse 13, he said unto Abram, know of a surety. Okay, so he starts, know for sure. Here's the answer. I'm going to give it to you tomorrow. But that's not what he says. In answer to Abram's question, how do I know I'm going to inherit the land? God says, know of a surety thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that's not theirs. And shall serve them. And, and, uh, and they shall afflict them 400 years. And as you're reading this, I don't know if you read this like I do. You're thinking, that's not very reassuring. Abram's like, how do I know? How, what affirmation, God, do I have that I'm going to inherit the land? And God says, well, the people that, you're, that are going to come from uh, your seed, the descendants that you'll have, they're going to be slaves. They're going to be in bondage for 400 years. And they're going to be in a land that's not even theirs for 400 years. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, that, that's not what I was looking for. Uh, that's not what I was expecting to hear, God. I was not expecting to hear that. And, and I'm not, that's not very reassuring. And God says in verse 14, And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with greater substance. I mean, that sounds better than verse 13, but it still means that... So Abram is having to come to terms with the fact that God is saying, For hundreds of years... Hundreds of years, your descendants will not dwell in the land that I've made a promise to you about. I mean, that just doesn't jive. It's not what we would expect. It's not the way that we would think God would answer. And even and God is saying, okay, listen, you're going to have many descendants. They're just going to be slaves for a long time. And at the end of it, they're going to come out. They're going to have great wealth because we know the prophecy. They come out of Egypt and they have all the resources. We know that. But listen, this is a big delay right here. And sometimes between the, the time that you receive a promise from God until you see the realization of the promise, there's a major delay. God does not always do things on our timetable. 
And there will be times where you have to wait on God. But we also find out in the middle of it, he has a reason for waiting. And I'm thankful for this. What he's saying is that Israel is going to come back. They're going to possess the land in a few hundred years. And they're going to have great wealth. So God is essentially telling Abram, listen, your descendants will be countless. There are going to be lots of them. But my promise of land will have to wait a while. It's not immediate. There will be a delay. You say, well, that's not great news. But we should be saying, really... At least God cared enough to tell Abram. You know, there's a lot of people that think that God just likes to be up in heaven and and likes to watch us wander around and and we don't have any answers and and he likes us to be confused and, and he likes us to wring our hands. Well, God at least gives him an answer. He comes to him in a vision and he gives him details and and he's not asking Abram to understand all the reasons why, but at least he's coming. And this, this, listen, this vision, him speaking to Abram, it is an act of reassurance. And we'll look at it even more as we come back in just a moment. That's reassurance number one. He gives him a vision. Reassurance number two is God gives Abram a historical preview. So look at verse 15. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Well, this is good news. Finally, Abram gets some good news. God says, okay, listen, uh, you're going to live a good old, to a good old age. You're going to live a good long life, and, and it's great news, okay? On one hand, I'm going to live, but on the other hand, it's bittersweet because God is telling him, but you won't be able to see the land inherited. So again, it's good news in that I'm going to live to a long, good old age, but you won't see the land inherited. Look at verse 16. Work with me here as we go through this. We'll we'll bring it back around full circle. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not full. Now, Amorites, this name, I I, I happen to believe, it really represents all of the people in the land. Okay, it represents all those that are against God, and it could represent just the Amorites itself, but it really is a picture of God's extended grace. He says, I'm going to wait. In the fourth generation, they're going to return. They're going to have the land. But he says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And this is an important promise that we need to take note of here today. God was going, listen, God's going to give the inhabitants of the land 400 years to either repent of their sin or just fill themselves up with sin completely. Meaning, God didn't just tell Abram to wipe out the people of the land and take their cities. You realize that? God didn't just say, okay, Abram, I want you to build an army. I want you to go wipe them all out. No, he waited until they had wholly rejected God and lost their opportunity to make things right. And I just have to say, for those that say that God is not a God of mercy in the Old Testament, all you have to do is read a verse like this and know that that is absolutely not true. You know, part of the wait for Abram was God showing mercy to the people of the land. Second Peter 3, 9, Brother Ross in Sunday school quoted, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, a delay in God's answers to your requests. You don't know what he might be doing behind the scenes. When he causes you to wait and he says, I want you to wait because there's something bigger that I have. It could be that he's giving somebody else an opportunity to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it could be that the trial of waiting that's in your life might return to God's glory in the form of somebody receiving Christ or somebody coming back to Christ or somebody seeing how God works in your life in the middle of that trial and draws them to him. And you might just be thinking, well, listen, this is the longest wait of my life. I have no idea what God's doing, but behind the scenes, God may be doing something incredible. He's giving the Amorites, he's giving the people of this land an opportunity to repent of their sin. He says 400 years he does it. We can't know how God's delay might work bigger plans. Not to mention the fact that this document, I want you to think about this. This is written for the children of Israel. So think about this. In four to five hundred years, the first people that read this were the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. So just the timeline here, this is Abram, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the children of Israel in the, in the book of Exodus, 400 years of captivity and bondage. 
And so Moses then came, delivered them from bondage. Moses is the one that wrote this book, the first five books of the Bible. And you know who he wrote it for? He wrote it for the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, going into the land of Canaan. So listen, the first people that ever read that God was going to do this, it was the children of Israel. And as they're reading it, they're literally reading about themselves. They're literally reading how God was going to do something in the nation of Israel. And and they had lived it. They were living it. In verse 16, God says, but in the fourth generation shall they come. They shall come hither again. You know what? I can just imagine the children of Israel reading those documents and saying, in in the fourth generation, they shall come again. That's us. God did deliver us. He did bring us back. Look, and we're going in to inhabit the land. And I mean, that must have been a huge help to them. I'm just telling you, if you think God's not a God of affirmation, if you think God doesn't care about assurance, all you have to do is read this and understand who the first readers were and think, okay, no, God's a God of affirmation. So the two ways that God is affirming Abram is is through his vision and through a historical preview. He says, in five, four or five hundred years, I'm going to bring your people back. They're going to have the land. It's just going to be a while. Those are the two affirmations so far. But the third one, and, and again, I'm going to apply this. We've got to get through the text first. The third a sign of assurance is through the covenant. This covenant that God makes with Abram. It came to pass, verse 17, that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. This is the biggest one. This is the biggest sign of assurance. After Abram's dream, it, it's dark and he sees fire and he sees smoke. You know, I, a smoking oven. He sees a smoking oven, essentially a burning torch. He sees, you know, these represent God. By the way, when God was leading the children of Israel in the wilderness, what did he lead by? A pillar of fire by night. A cloud by day, right? So Abram, he in this vision, he has this vision, he goes to sleep, and, and then, but then he wakes up and he sees the altar and he watches this flame and this smoke and it says it walks down the middle of the altar between the divided animals. So it seals the covenant. This covenant ceremony, remember, it was a sign of incredible commitment on God's part. This is God saying, I'm making a promise. And remember, those who walked in the middle of the halved animals were essentially saying, let it be so to me if I don't keep up my end of the covenant. God is so serious about his commitment to Abram that he, he goes, he comes down and through the middle of this covenant, he walks through it and just to let Abram see that he's serious. Listen, don't, don't ever let doubts convince you that God is incapable or disinterested in keeping his word. Because in Genesis 12, when he gave the promises to Abram, he didn't give promises that he was thinking, okay, someday I'm going to let these just kind of fall away. No, he said, I want you to know I am so serious about this covenant that I've made with you that I will walk between the pieces. I'll go walking on the altar. And it leads me to this thought, you know, only God, it says here, only God passed down the altar. Only God walked through the altar. You know what that means? It's because this is a unilateral covenant. This had nothing to do with Abram. This was all of God. God was the only one walking through it. God was saying, listen, I made the promise and I will keep the promise and I'll use myself as collateral. I don't need you to sign anything, Abram. I'm making this promise. I'll walk in the midst of the half pieces of the animals to let you know I'm serious here. This, uh, this covenant is personal to you, Abram. This is literal. It's going to happen. It's unconditional and that it's all dependent on me and it's eternal and that it will have eternal significance this is big stuff say okay great now that you've explained all this what in the world does this mean for us well let me just tell you for israel it meant that god's promises are sure but sometimes they're delayed by suffering god's promises are sure but sometimes they're delayed by suffering That's the message God gave to Abram. He says, I'm going to reassure you by a vision. I'm going to reassure you with a prophecy. I'm going to reassure you with a covenant. And you can be sure that I'll keep my word. I'm guaranteeing it. But be careful, Abram. Listen, don't assume that I keep my word based on your timeline. It will literally be hundreds hundreds of years. 
No wonder Abram had doubts. You know, he'd already been waiting for a son and he'd been promised land that he hadn't received and kings were his enemies and fear was taking over and on top of it all, God doesn't seem to be in a hurry. But God still sent affirmation. And I want you to think about the way that he sent affirmation here. He starts with the vision. He, he comes and speaks to Abram. Okay, listen, this is where the application comes. And I need you to focus in. He comes with a vision. He comes and speaks to him. You know what he does when he comes to him in a vision? You know what he's telling Abram? He said, I'm still here. Yep. I'm still here. I've not forgotten. I'm still here. And then he goes from the vision, he goes to recounting or telling the prophecy of the future. Here's all the things that are ha- going to happen, Abram. And what he was telling him there was saying, I'm still here, but also I still can. Yeah. Amen. I'm still here, I still can. And then he gives a covenant and he walks through it on his own. And you know what he's saying there? I still care. Amen. Listen, God is telling Abram three very important things. He's saying, I'm still here. I still can, and I still care. Meaning, Abram, you may feel like you're all alone, and you may have tremendous doubt, and your faith may be shaken, your faith may be wavering, but it's not about you, Abram. I want you to remember these truths. My promises are sure, and even if you have to wait in the middle of your waiting, I want you to remember that I'm still here, and I still can, and Abram, I still care. See, the weight of the weight... The weight of the weight can be crushing. And I I know that's hard to hear and you don't want to hear, well, this is how it works for God's people, but sometimes it just does. And God's promises are sure as the day he makes them, but he doesn't always operate on our timeline here. And it's often that when our faith is asked to wait, we deal with suffering and sometimes we deal with even death. I mean, Abram was going to die before he ever got to see it. And our problem is that we assume delayed blessings mean forgotten promises. As Job waited there on the side of the road and and he didn't really have any friends helping him, he probably thought he was forgotten. As Noah waited in the boat after the 40 days were up for a whole year, he probably thought, I've been forgotten. And as Joseph sat in a prison cell and he had nobody to care for him and he reached out to others, he probably thought, I've been forgotten. As David ran for his life through the wilderness for seven years from King Saul, as he was running, he's probably thinking, has God forgotten? Daniel, in the bottom of a lion's den, thinking, I think God forgot. I imagine that John the Baptist, waiting in a prison cell to be beheaded, was thinking, all I was doing was preparing the way of the Lord and I think God forgot. And Paul in a prison, countless martyrs throughout history. But just because God doesn't work on our time frame doesn't mean that he has forgotten our condition. Friends, sometimes faith has to wait. And it may be a while before you're completely healed. It may be a while before that person in your life that, that the relationship's been broken with ever comes back and says they're sorry. It could be weeks before you hear back from the job. It could be months before your anxiety is released. It might be years before you ever hear the reasons why. And honestly, like Abram, you may not ever get the answer. You think, well, that's not very encouraging. I'm just telling you, this is is life. Abram was told, listen, you're going to die in a good old age, but you won't get to see the land inherited. I mean, that meant he'd never see the promised land. He'd never see the end of the promises before he died. You talk about waiting. You know, there may be some things in your life that you never get a clear answer to. And I can't help that be easier. And I don't understand why either. And I don't have answers for all of it. Sometimes the weight of faith is a weight. And sometimes it's a burden. And sometimes it's too crushing to endure. And it feels too heavy to carry. And the weight... Of faith becomes a weight of faith. And the weight goes on and on. And the weight gets heavier and heavier. And while we're waiting for God to do something. And it seems like he's just not moving. We must have to keep waiting. So I'm just telling you this morning. If I can't change the weight. But I can tell you. There was something that happened in Abraham's, Abram's life here. That we can apply. 
You say, well, I just wish God would change the weight. He may not. He may not change the circumstance. He may not make things easier. But he does something for Abram here that we've got to notice. Notice how, first, know that God wants you to be assured. God doesn't want you to live in doubt. God doesn't want you to, to, to always be wondering and wringing your hands. And I mean, he wants you to walk in the light. God's a God of affirmation. God's a God of assurance. And so when we have honest doubts, he wants to reassure us. He doesn't want the weight of the weight to crush us. And we have to assume that's true based on how he deals with Abram and how he deals with many others in, the God, in God's word. So how, how, how do we get through this? When we're waiting and it's a weight. Well, how did God assure Abram? Well, he gave him a vision. He gave him prophecy and he gave him a covenant. See, what does that have to do with us? Well, I believe that God deals with our, our doubts the same exact way. See, Abram had a vision from God and that seems great. Um, but we have something more sure and that we have God's word. See, God came to Abram and said, he came in a vision. Let me reassure you, right here, let me reassure you with my word. Well, according to Peter... Are the book that we hold in our hands, it's a more sure word of prophecy. Meaning, Peter says, well, listen, I was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw some incredible things. And he says, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. And so you may think, no, this weight is too weighty for me to bear. And I don't have any way of reassurance, except that you've got a whole book full of God's revelation and promises to you. That if you would just open, he wants you to be reassured. This, is, this book is his way of coming alongside you and telling you, listen, I want you to be comforted. I want you to be reassured. I'm still here. Amen. There's no more sure word of comfort and rest and assurance than the word God of God himself. Listen, remember Psalm 119. Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction for the word hath quickened me. And you think, I don't have any assurance. I don't have any comfort. I've got nobody helping me with anything except you've got God's revelation of himself. And you know what the whole message on every page is? I'm still here. He also came to Abram and, and reassured him through that preview of history. Remember that? You know, it says in, in 400 years, I'm going to bring him back. And so Abram was being reassured through that. But listen, we don't have a preview of history. You know, we have, we have proof through history. So listen... Think about this. Abram had a promise. I mean, he had a promise. But you know what we have? We have thousands of years of evidence that God works on his people's behalf. Abram, all he had was God's word come and say, now listen, 400 years, it's going to happen. But we don't have to wonder if he will. Like Abram, he had, listen, Abram didn't have any friends to go to. He didn't have a book to open and read. But I have stories of David. And I have stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I have stories about how God helped Job. I have stories about how God um, brought his apostles through those hard times. I have stories about uh, walking on the, on the sea with Peter. And I, I have stories of how God healed and God, God corrected things and God rose from the dead. Listen, I, I don't just have promises. We have proof. We have evidence to look back on. We have so much more than Abram even had. And so Abram was reassured by promises. We can be reassured by proof. There's an empty tomb. Do we need any other proof than that? So when you're full of doubt and you don't know how it's all going to work out and you, you're wringing your hands, all you need to do is remember all the ways that God has proven himself. And think, okay, I still can. That's what he says. And if not, listen, you even have people in this room, friends, family, People that love you, people that have been through it, and you think, I just don't know, I don't have assurance. Well, listen, you can look around this room and find a lot of people that have been through it. And they can tell you, yeah, you know, I know it may seem dark right now, but God can. He still can. He's still here, and he still can. Abram had a preview of history, and he had, uh, he had the uh, vision, but he also had a covenant. Say, well, we don't really have a covenant, you know. I mean, we're not going to build an altar and cut animals, and that's just strange, and, you know, walking through it. I mean, that's just different. No, we don't have that kind of covenant, but we do have a new covenant. 
And listen, this one was initiated and carried out by Jesus Christ himself. And when God walked through the midst of those animals, he was saying, may I die if I don't keep my end of the covenant. Well, he skipped that part completely in the new covenant and he just went and died for our sins. So if you want proof that God, God is still there and that he still can and that he still cares, just look at the covenant, the cross. And while you're doubting and you're wringing your hands and you're wondering, okay, does God even still notice and does he care? And the weight of the weight is crushing you. All you have to do is stop and look at the cross and remember, okay, he still cares. If he went to a cross for me, he will not leave me without assurance. So what's the point? Well, you may be doubting while you're waiting, but assurance is available. It's available through God's word. It's available through his mighty acts. And it's available through the cross. Don't assume delayed answers mean forgotten promises. God's word is proof. God's history is proof. The cross is proof. And so for you to try to carry the weight of the weight on your shoulders, he wants to bear your burdens. He wants to carry them for you. He wants to take the load off your shoulders. And his word and his acts and the cross should remind you that he's still here, he still can, and he still cares. Sometimes the delay means suffering. There's some people in this room right now, you're suffering. And you're going through things that maybe nobody else even knows about. And maybe it's a health, maybe it's a, a trial of some kind, it's a relationship. And you've got things that you just don't even know how you can carry it. I'm telling you, you weren't meant to. God gives you reassurance through his word, through the past, and through, uh, and through his covenant, the cross. He says, come unto, me, call, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. You're not meant to carry a burden like that. You can't. And for some of you in this room this morning, and you think that the burden is yours to save yourself through your works, listen, you're certainly not meant to carry that burden. You can't. Jesus Christ, though, put that cross on his back and walked up the hill to Calvary and bore your sins on his shoulders so you don't have to. It is a crushing weight to try to bear your own sins. You can't do it. But he died for you. And all you have to do is receive his payment for your sins and you can be saved. Listen, you may not know the reason for the weight, but you can know there's a reason. You know, I was thinking about this. We're going to wait either way. So I'm going to choose to wait like an honest seeker instead of a hard skeptic. If I'm going to wait either way and it doesn't really help me get any closer to whatever God's doing, I'm going to come to him with humility and say, Lord God, instead of prove it. And some of you, if you come in here this morning, you're a hard skeptic and your heart is hard and you're coming here to say, prove it. No, if you would simply stop saying, prove it and say, God, I humble myself and I'd love to have an answer. I'd love to have assurance. I'd love to have faith in the middle of all this doubt. But God, even if I never do, listen, I trust you. And I know that you're still there. I know you still, you still can. And I know you still care. And I'm just going to trust that. So I'm, Lord, help me to lay aside all the skepticism and the hardness. And I humble myself before you. And God, I'm just going to wait. Wait on the Lord, the psalmist said. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Isaiah 40, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's possible to wait and not have it crush you. But you have to allow God to reassure you like he wants to. So rather than wait with hard skepticism and carrying the burden, why don't you go to his word, recount the past, all the things he's done, and then remember the covenant, the cross. He's still there. He still can. And he still cares. 
That promise is available. And I hope that you will stop trying to carry the weight of the weight on your own shoulders. He promises to help us carry it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's stand together. We'll go right into the invitation this morning. No, it's a lot to get through today, but I, if, you don't, if you leave with nothing else, would you remember this? He's still there, he still can, and he still cares. This account with Abram is proof that of those things, they're all true. He's still there. He still can, and he still cares. He's given you his word as assurance. He's given you the past, the acts, the great mighty acts that he's done as assurance. And more than anything, he's given you the cross. For you to carry the weight when he promises to, to, to carry it for you and he wants to assure you through it, what a silly way to operate. I'm asking you to come and humble yourself before God and say, God, the weight of the weight is crushing, but you've given me assurance and I trust it. For those in here who may not know Christ, maybe you've never received him as your savior, this morning is the day of your salvation. It can be. Would you just humble yourself before God and stop trying to carry the weight of your salvation on your own shoulders when Jesus Christ already did all the work? Father, have your will and way. Move as you will in our midst. God, I I know that there are some carrying heavy burdens this morning and they're waiting and the weight is crushing them. Would you please help us to submit ourselves to you and to give you uh, the burden because you want to carry it? Lord, however you want to work in our lives, we want to humble ourselves. I do pray for those in here who aren't saved. Maybe this morning would be the morning they submit themselves to God's plan for salvation. Lord, And we'd love to see somebody receive you as their Savior. But God, help us to no longer carry the weight of the weight. We lay it in your hands and ask that you would help us with it. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.